Aloha! This is Abe's Ukulele Podcast, the podcast for players and teachers of the ukulele to get better at that. Thank you so much for joining me. My name's Abe, and I am your host, of course, because it's named after me. <laughs> anyway, I've got a great show for you today. I got to talk to a friend of mine who plays ukulele. He has an amazing story, and um, he has a really cool trick that I was so intrigued by that he uses in his classroom. But first, I have to thank everyone that entered the ukulele contest that I had recently. I gave away an ukulele and four hats with the Life Co. And uh, yeah, thank you everyone that entered. And the winners were picked at random by my kids. If you haven't seen it and would like to, I will put a link in the show notes to the video of that. It is insanely cute. Um, but anyway, yeah, a huge thank you to Ook Life Co. for helping me put that together. I've got some pretty big news. The first ever Connecticut Ukulele Festival is happening on September 29th in Westport, Connecticut. I know I mentioned it before, and it was originally going to be in Norwalk, but it's actually in Westport. I will put the details in the show notes. If you're anywhere near Connecticut, I highly recommend you coming down. From 12 to 5, there'll be workshops. I'll be teaching one as well. And from 6 to 9, there's going to be a concert. Victoria Vox will be there. I'll be playing. And there's some other awesome acts ready to go. You can get concert-only tickets or attend the whole day. And um, you could also come just to meet me. I'd love to say hello. And, uh, you know, you can put a face to the voice and see... Maybe I look weird or not. <laughs> There's a story on NPR recently where they talked about how people don't often look like what they sound like. So um, I'm sorry if I disappoint you and I don't look like what you think I look like. Anyway, um, I would love to see you there at the Connecticut Ukulele Festival, September 29th. If you are not in the country or very far away, don't worry, I'll I'll talk about it and... Um, yeah, I'd love to hear from you also. Uh, let me know what your experiences are with ukulele festivals. And uh, of course, as always, let me know what you think of this podcast. You can leave me a review on iTunes. You can also drop me a line at podcast at ukuleleabe.com. I would love to hear from you. Well, all right, that's enough for now. Without further ado, let's get right into my conversation with Brian LaPlante. Brian LaPlante was born in Kingston, Ontario, into a family of teachers and musicians. As a kid, he spent his summer weekends in various Ottawa Valley campgrounds, competing in old-time fiddle contests by day and jamming out traditional waltzes, jigs, and reels around campfires by night. In his early 20s, he began traveling the world as an ESL teacher, playing in bands, and teaching music along the way through South Korea, New York State in America, the Dominican Republic, and most recently, Monterey, Mexico. Having just finished his first year of the James Hill Ukulele Initiative, Brian is coming back home to Canada to teach and live in Halifax, Nova Scotia.
All right, so I'm here in Toronto. We just finished the first day of the Jahui, officially called Jahui now. It used to be J-H-U-I. Um, and I'm sitting here with Brian LaPlante. He is one of the teachers here. Hey, Brian, how's it going? How you doing, Abe? Really happy to be here. It's my first podcast. Thanks for uh, sitting down with me. Um, so first of all, I wanted to figure out who you are and uh, how did you get started on the ook? What's your deal with this thing? Well, um, the first time I saw an ukulele in action was when I was in a band. Um, I was working in the Dominican Republic then, teaching first grade. Oh, wow. And two other teachers at the school were in the band as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, the lead vocalist in that band was from Oakland in California. Oh, nice. And he had a little fluke uke with him, um, which he tended to take out because at the time we played (laughs) a a bongo-based acoustic set. Uh So it was two acoustic guitars with bongos and the lead vocals. That sounds fun. And David was his name. Um, Mm -hmm. Occasionally he would take out this little uke and do a few solo songs during the set. Oh, nice. And he said that he'd been taking lessons and Mm -hmm. we were all captivated. (laughs) So shortly thereafter, uh, my other friend, friend Ben and I from the band, uh, we Mm -hmm. started a small ukulele program at the school we worked at Mm. in the Dominican Republic. Mm -hmm. And we had absolutely no theoretical knowledge about the ukulele or that Mm -hmm. Jahui existed. Um, (laughs) J-H-U-I, James Hill. We had no idea that the culture had any kind of foundation. Mm -hmm. But what we did was we had maybe a few kids after school strumming it out. Mm -hmm. And that was my introduction to the ukulele, I'd say. Mm. That's cool. So then, so you got there, you had already been playing music, you're a musician before the ukulele, right? Yes. Um, Well, I started out playing in Kingston, Ontario, where Mm -hmm. I was born and raised. And my sister and I were part of an Ottawa Valley Fiddlers Association. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. uh, our parents were actively involved. My parents were both recording musicians. Mm -hmm. And yeah, well, my mom was in a country band called the Rebels. And, you know, they had an album cut in Kingston back in the old days. And my father had always been uh, a rock musician and a country musician. So um, what happened was we went around from town to town in our trailer uh, Mm -hmm. during the summertime competing in Ottawa Valley Fiddle Contest. Nice. Now, my sister was a champion fiddler, Mm -hmm. but she's nine years older than me. Mm -hmm. And I had just started picking up the fiddle and getting serious about it around when she stopped playing because she went away to university. Mm -hmm. So we stopped the competitions and my father kept up with the fiddling with me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it wasn't until high school that I discovered the guitar Mm -hmm. and I started taking classical guitar up Mm. to Royal Conservatory fifth grade. Wow. Um, And after that, Thank you. <laughs> and after that, um, I started playing in bands mm-hmm. and sort of have tried to be an active musician since then. Wow. That's pretty cool. That sounds like a really magical musical journey you've been on. Well, we were very lucky to have grown up um, in... The, we were playing in the same contest as Natalie McMaster and the Leahy oh. family and, and several of the Canadians nice. of note. Um it was a really alternative way to grow up. Um, mm-hmm. It was difficult to make friends, but mm. at the same time, uh, we were part of a, a greater fiddling culture that yeah. was sort of outside the mainstream, which made me feel mm-hmm. privileged. I think. Yeah. No, oh, that sounds great. Um, if the listeners does not know those musicians, um, I'm going to put a link in the description so you can do some studying because they're uh, pretty big. <laughs> so from that point, how did you get sucked away from the guitar, but mostly into teaching the ukulele? Okay, well, um, I'd always played guitar, as you know, and mm-hmm. bass in bands. Yeah. And the ukulele, 
appeared because I was teaching in Mexico mm-hmm. at a school in Monterrey. And Monterey is the second largest city in Mexico. It was a very, very large private school for pretty much the 1% of the economic (laughs) population of the country. Uh, And when I was there, I was teaching second grade. Mm -hmm. And I always played. I had a uke by then. I was Mm -hmm. playing on my own. And I used it in my classroom, during uh, whether it was during a transition or whether it was to do sing songs with the kids. Just kind of like playing around with it. Well, I mainly got into it to start teaching English songs because it was a way that... Hispanic kids could learn English and have fun with it in a different way than just reading a storybook. Mm -hmm. So we started doing, you know, Mm sing-alongs in the classroom. And after that, a music job opened up in my second year at the Uh school. So the principal at the school asked me if I would be interested in starting some kind of instrumental pull-out program. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to pull students from homerooms and have them Mm -hmm. come to me and do a 30-minute lesson on some instrument of choice. Of mm-hmm. course, guitar was the first thing he mentioned. Mm-hmm. But I thought I thought it would be more fun to try ukulele, oh, and I thought okay. the kids would probably have more success with it. Nice. Um, so that was when I discovered James Hill mm-hmm. because I was terrified as to what <laughs> kind of curricular approach I would take, mm-hmm. and I didn't even know if any existed. Yeah. So I went online, and I started searching on Google, mm-hmm. ukulele curriculum. And James is the first name that popped up. Oh, nice. And I was lucky enough that the school funded my level one program mm-hmm. last year. And ever since then, I've been sort of sucked right into the culture and I can't get enough of it. Oh, that's sweet. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, it sounds like, oh, he plays an instrument. Let's get him to teach music. <laughs> well, that was sort of it. I mean, the, the other two music teachers they hired, uh, one was on violin and mm-hmm. one was on bucket drumming. Oh, nice. So the ukulele ended up being where I went for my pull-out program. That was mm-hmm. sort of a requirement. But since I taught it before, it seemed like the mm. right fit. That's cool. So um, going down this like rabbit hole of finding the curriculum and bringing it into your classroom... Um, could you talk about like what were some of the challenges you had trying to implement it? Because you were like the only teacher, and not the only teacher, but the only ukulele teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and what were some of the victories, like the highlights and the great, awesome moments? One of my favorite moments was seeing the students engage with ukulele mm-hmm. because I wasn't sure whether they'd be interested or not. Hmm. And what I was able to do at my school was start going classroom to classroom with my ukulele and doing demo songs for the kids to oh, see nice. if they were into it. So I went homeroom to homeroom mm-hmm. and we had a sign up system where the kids could report down to my music room mm-hmm. to sign up. And on the first day at lunchtime, there was a horde of students <laughs> outside and nice. I had to make a line that went right down to the bathrooms mm-hmm. and I didn't know how to possibly organize this number of students. Mm -hmm. So it was a victory, but it also opened up a lot of challenges. Mm -hmm. So what did you do with the line? Well, what I had to do, (laughs) uh, this was the first year. Mm -hmm. Um, The first year that I started the program, I put a cap on the amount of students that could come in per Mm -hmm. homeroom. Because the elementary school had had around 2,000 students, which was a lot, just from kinder to grade five. Oh, my gosh. And there was no way to manage that amount of students. Mm -hmm. So I had a cap on each homeroom. So Mm -hmm. let's pretend it's grade two. There would be nine classrooms just in grade two. Grade three had nine classrooms. Grade four had nine classrooms. And what would happen was, okay, once my cap of eight students was reached, I mm-hmm. wouldn't permit any other kids from that lesson, okay. from that classroom to come in. Yeah. Now that was good, but there were a lot of students I had to turn away and that made me really want to rethink things the second year. Oh, okay. Nice. So you're here now. Mm-hmm. Welcome back home. Oh. Um, 
what what drove you I don't want to say drove you out of Mexico, but what what pulled you back home? Well, um, a lot of factors were involved in the decision. The first one being that I've lived abroad for 13 years. Mm -hmm. Um, I started off my career in the er, sorry in South Korea. Mm -hmm. I was in Busan, South Korea, for two years, and then I was in upstate New York, uh, working there for a few years, and then exotic. Yes, the exotic. (laughs) The exotic wilds of, of Potsdam <laughs> University. But um, after that, I, met, I went to the Dominican Republic for four years, and mm-hmm. after that, Mexico. And my father's 72 years old. Uh, mm-hmm. My partner and I have been together for eight years, and mm-hmm. she and I have never lived in Canada together. Ah. Um, it seemed like the right time, mm-hmm. especially given that uh, attitudes are changing in the education system. And without a unionized system, mm-hmm. it's hard to get your point across. Um, and it's hard to implement things that mm-hmm. you t- would otherwise have protection from. Mm. Oh, okay. That's cool. Is she, is she Canadian also? Yes, she is. Oh, she, her name's cool. Beth, and she's from uh, Nova Scotia. Awesome. And the two of us are going to be moving to Halifax uh, this September. So we're awesome. really excited to return home together and start a whole new chapter. Cool. I'm really hoping ukulele will be a part of that. Yeah, well, I assume it will be. Mm-hmm. Um for those of you that don't know, Halifax is in Nova Scotia. It's a big island in Canada, and uh, I've been told it's gorgeous and amazing. And uh, that's also where James Hill's from. That's so right. Y- uh, you got some of that spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I went through Brookfield, Nova Scotia, on the bus, and I was telling Beth, "Oh, look, there's the sign. There's Brookfield. This is where James Hill's from." She's like, "Yes, that's very interesting." Um, but there is a lot of roots music down there. Mm-hmm. A lot of bluegrass. A lot of Acadian music, and yeah. that's something that James definitely integrates into his oh, programming. And I'd love to get to the seed of that and see where yeah. it came from. Yeah, that's awesome. It definitely it definitely captivates me. I'm actually from Louisiana originally, mm. so I have a lot of that Acadian, oh, yes. Cajun we're, we're spirit. We're both Cajuns. I'm yeah. just the Canadian Cajuns. The <laughs> exactly. Canadians. Yeah. Oh, I didn't, ever, I didn't hear about that term. That's cool. I just made it up. Nice. So um, <laughs> taking everything you've learned from around the world, um, and bringing it back home. You haven't started in a classroom yet in Canada, right? No, no. We just got off the plane about a month ago. Oh, okay. Um, so at the moment, I'm sort of shopping around a few ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is with uh, a Waldorf school in Halifax. Oh, cool. I may be starting a, a, a Saturday program, mm-hmm. um, starting from the foundations. With They have the ukuleles. Mm-hmm. They don't really know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, the director there took a look at some of the things I've been doing online, and, and uh, we did an interview. And I'm hoping that it will grow mm-hmm. uh, to more than just a weekend thing. So it's, awesome. it's a place to start, which makes me really happy that before I left Mexico, I was able to put something together. You have somewhere to go. I have. <laughs> I have. There is a path to follow, That's whether nice. it's rocky or not. You know? So after after this huge journey, um, and you might get you know stuck in one place for now. What are you most excited about getting like a new classroom in your homeland? Like what, maybe that's not really a part of the classroom itself, but from everything you've learned, what's, what's, what excites you the most about it? I think the most exciting thing from a, from a teaching perspective is to work with Canadian students. Mm. Um, I've never in my career taught Canadian students. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I, I had a brief stint on the sub list when mm. I was in between jobs in Ontario, mm. but I've never taught music to Canadian students. Mm-hmm. I've never worked with ukulele with Canadian students. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking that teaching children from within my own culture is going to have a really special part in my heart mm. um, in the long run. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. 
Well, of course, I wish you luck in your classroom. Um, I think you've been teaching longer than me, so you probably have more tips and tricks and things to keep you going. Well, it's been 15 years, and um, mm-hmm. one of the things that I'm, I'm happy about is that I was trained in a, in a classroom approach for K-6 to uh, general mm-hmm. education. So I did that for about 10 years before I started pursuing teaching music. Uh, wow. And now some of the skills that I was trained in really come in handy as, as a specialist teacher now. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping I can put all of these things into my future classroom or future business or whatever ends up happening. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, do you know if you'll ever teach private lessons? I would be very happy to teach private <laughs> lessons. Uh, the link will be on the website. Yeah. But um, I've, I've taught adults and, and students. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lucky enough to do a faculty program at the school as well. Oh, that's great. So I had a group of about 30 teachers that came in after school mm-hmm. and we put together Christmas shows and, and I had like a little group of the real enthusiasts that wanted mm-hmm. more than once a week and we ended yeah. up having a lot of fun in Mexico with Mex- Mexican teachers and Canadian teachers. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it when non-music teachers get involved in music. It's just great. Well, we were just commenting in, in the course about how often the adults have a little more nervousness or stage mm-hmm. fright than the kids do. Yeah. And I never thought that would be the case until it came to be performance <laughs> time. And, you know, it was people emailing me saying suddenly they had something to do. You yeah. Know, but I would email <laughs> them back and go track them down and make mm-hmm. sure they performed. Yeah. There's so much more stress of like, what do they think of me or... You know, am I good enough? And kids just jump in. Oh, yes. Well, things from the childhood sort of pop up for adults, mm-hmm. right? Like someone will say, oh, I, I used to play the clarinet, but then yeah. I gave it up and I felt bad since then. And I don't know about being in front of a crowd again. Yeah, but there's a lot of that. For I sure. would say that even more so than the kids performing with the adults, you really could feel the sense of, of, of achievement in the mm-hmm. room. When, when the adult shows were finished, yeah. they felt like they'd really turned a new page in their lives. Mm-hmm. And, and that would that was something that made me very happy. Yeah. Yeah, this past year um, in my classrooms, we had a group that basically got the farthest out of all my time Mm -hmm. teaching, and we put on this concert. It was a benefit concert in a pizza restaurant. Oh, cool. And it was, you could just, the looks on the kids' faces was just like, they were so proud. Well, seeing their adult role models also perform, right? Yeah. That that helps them, I think, bridge the gap. Yeah. That's something I learned from uh, one of my music classes, the idea that parents would dance Mm -hmm. to music and just be silly and sing songs. Uh It invites the kids so much more into it, and it's kind of like, you know, in so many families, it's like the kids do the music and the parents right. are like, I can't They're busy sing, I can't, yeah. I can't do anything. It's like, uh, well, it's I wish so I had a scene that before. <laughs> I wish I had a seen that one. I bet it was great. Yeah, the pizzeria. It, was, it was great. The pizza was good. Mm-hmm. The music was great. Um, you know, they were playing everything from the, the James Ho books, Bach and oh, Hawaiian wonderful. music and wow. everything. Um, they they made up a little like one of the call and response songs where. We talked about like how if the pizza doesn't come, something's wrong in the kitchen. Um, <laughs> That's and, like uh, a saying in and of yeah. itself. And then, yeah. of course, the audience was listening so closely because they would laugh at all the right moments. And then Perfect. you'd see the kids' reactions when they, because when we were writing it, it was kind of like, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is going to be cool. Is this okay? And, you know, they call me Mr. Abe. It's like, Mr. Abe, yep. eh, this isn't going to work. But, yeah, it worked. It well, was, in the end, it it's was all hilarious. about sharing and love mm-hmm. between people in the same family and their activities yeah. that now parents and kids can share. Yeah, and that's that's huge. So hopefully we'll do it again. Um, I'm looking forward to next year. It's going to be bigger and better. Hopefully. So um, we had a master class yesterday yes, where 
teachers of the Jahui program came and presented to other teachers, role-playing. Uh, I was there. You were there. You talked about <laughs> something that was I thought was really awesome that I thought would be really cool to share um, about t- using tapping as an exercise to keep kids in time, but also just make songs spicier somewhat. Uh-huh. Could you talk about that somewhat? Like how you got to that, what it is, and... Yeah, just just right there. Sure. What it is and how you created it. Well, first of all, I was really, really excited that James offered the master class because mm-hmm. it was the first opportunity I'd seen so far in the program for students and teachers in the program to showcase yeah. their take or their perspective mm-hmm. on the material other than just playing it straight out of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so where did the technique come from? Well, the first thing I noticed on the first lesson during the first level Mm -hmm. was James talked about the percussive sphere as being part of the melodic sphere Mm -hmm. and all three spheres together. So I was really... Percussive, melodic, and harmonic. Yes, that's right. Um, And then there was sort of a sweet spot in the middle where they Mm -hmm. all met. So the idea would be that the kids can chord and sing and keep time Mm -hmm. at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I, I started thinking to myself, how would that be possible? And I kind of put the idea on the shelf because I'd always watch James doing the Billy Jean tap, tapping and chucking mm-hmm. and things like that. But I didn't really see how that was applicable to kids. Mm-hmm. And it really came about by accident. So in Mexico, I was teaching Safari, which is a piece out of UIC1. And in this mm-hmm. piece, there are several rests. And my students had a lot of trouble not only identifying, but being able to keep those rests yes. and come in on the Mine appropriate too. pickup. <laughs> for the next measure. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And what happened was the kids just could not get this. So we ended Mm -hmm. up going into a strumming version of the song. Mm -hmm. They weren't able to pick out the notes. Mm -hmm. So the melody line was just beyond them in in second grade. Mm -hmm. This was in second grade. Yeah. And what happened was we did a strum version where the kids could sing the harmonic line along with the strumming Mm -hmm. as long as we kept it just to the C and G. Mm -hmm. And what happened was they started tapping it themselves. So I had one student that started bonking on his ukulele Mm -hmm. in between. And I thought, okay. I said, does that help you keep time? Jorge was his name. And Mm -hmm. he said, yes, it helps me remember the beat. And I was Mm -hmm. like, huh, why don't we all do that? So we started tapping on the side of the ukulele in Mm -hmm. time with the song. And then I kind of came up with this flicking idea, mm-hmm. which would go with it in order to keep the sort of offbeat mm-hmm. so that they wouldn't miss the next tap. Mm. And we ended up running the song that way during mm-hmm. the rehearsal. And when it came time to perform that song and two more, the kids were really adamant about keeping this percussive mm-hmm. piece to the song. Yeah. And James has talked a, a bit about sort of nullifying the the tapping. He mm-hmm. wants the kids to just blink out the beat or he wants us to not really f- keep it in to kind the final Kind of like to take away the crutch right, the training ta- wheels. To take away mm-hmm. the training wheels so that they can just keep time on their own, which is yeah. great. But my kids really wanted to do the tapping and flicking. Mm-hmm. And I found that when they did, they just shone on vocals. Mm-hmm. Like they were able to really remember the lyrics and remember all the vocal cues and keep mm-hmm. it on pitch because they weren't playing chords through the whole thing, especially mm-hmm. during a couple little breakdowns near the end. So I kept going with it. Mm-hmm. And um, I tried to develop my own sort of technique out, uh, on it and integrate it into the UIC two and three books, mm-hmm. which ended up being the crux of the presentation for the master class. Yeah. And this was all new to me. So I'd never mm-hmm. tried the tap flick at, with anything out of J, uh, UIC one. 
Mm-hmm. And for the master class, I tried it with two other pieces. Mm-hmm. And I was really very happy. I couldn't believe how many responses I got from both yeah. both James and from the other students about how much great. they enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So I'm maybe thinking that sort of youthful energy that mm-hmm. the kids had was maybe transferred over to the adults when they were doing the tap and flick. Teachers learn from their students. And that's <laughs> that's essentially the story of where it came from. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping to keep using it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. Could you show what it is just a little bit? Sure. Basically. Uh, we're going to get out the ukulele here, so hopefully the sound quality will be the same. <laughs> um, well, what I'll do now is I'll play a little piece called Everybody Loves Saturday Night, which was out of the, the first UIC book. Um, it's a James Hill arrangement of, I believe it's an African piece. Yeah. And how it works is you would just start on an F major chord, and then you would jump over to a C major chord and then you jump back to an F major chord. And it's just a four, four time. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. And again, one, two, three, four. And the vocal line to go along with that sounds, everybody loves Saturday night. Then you go again. Everybody loves Saturday night. Now. To add the tap flick, what I'm going to do, you won't be able to see it, but I'm going to tap just over the bridge of the ukulele with my three fingers of my right hand. So you get this tapping sound. And what I'm going to do is use my third finger or middle finger on the right hand and flick the very top of the ukulele, which is on the side. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to describe what that is, mm-hmm. but it's, it's on the roof of the ukulele. If not where the sound hole yeah, is. Yeah, not where the sound hole. On the roof of the ukulele, the thinnest part it, of the it wind. should be pointing towards your face yeah, if, if you're holding it <laughs> it's hard to describe that yeah but yeah. it's the part that's looking up at you as you're looking <laughs> down at your ukulele so we're tapping and then we're flicking with our second finger and then you can alternate it in between the chords and that's sort of where the te- mm-hmm. technique comes from so the kids would start everybody loves saturday night so you can do tap tap flick or just everybody loves saturday night but what I wanted to do was integrate the chords into it mm-hmm. to sort of get into these spherical sort of crossover areas yeah. like James was talking about it. So I started to down start playing down, tap, flick, F, tap, flick, F, tap, flick. And if you do the changes as they appear in the song, mm-hmm. you get everybody loves Saturday night. You could do a C7 if you want as well. Everybody loves Saturday night. Everybody, 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 everybody. Now, you would keep going with that, but then the kids would sort of jump into just a vocal line with Mm -hmm. it. So, everybody loves Saturday night. And then just the vocals. Everybody loves Saturday night. And so on. Mm -hmm. And I found that it broke up the song nicely, and the kids really Mm -hmm. enjoyed it having a little bit more of an acapella style arrangement at the end. Yeah, they love being able to hit things too. So that's the essential element of you yeah. could you could add that to any song, mm-hmm. either replacing chords or rests with mm-hmm. the tap and the flick to keep the off and on beats. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's the reason that I really loved it cuz it mm-hmm. it's just taking the song as it is. It's making it very different obviously, but also it's it's helping keep time but keeping it less busy. Sometimes when you're strumming too much, mm-hmm. it's I feel like it's easy to lose the time, especially if you have a whole classroom and everybody's doing 
you know, up, down, up, down, or just down, down, down. And then when you have that, you have nice breaks, and there's still something for them to do, mm-hmm. and it fits in the songs. That's I completely agree with that. Um, another uh, great uh, application of it is that little kids, especially, their their fingers get sore mm-hmm. really quickly. So yeah. they have a lot of trouble pressing down on those chords for extended periods of time. Mm-hmm. And when you stop with a little tap flick part, they get a little yeah. release from it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like the right hand doesn't get enough work. Mm-hmm. So if they're strumming, hitting, flicking... Um, it's great. I, I do another mm-hmm. game where they're playing a chord and then their left hand taps. Yes. But yeah. that's that's a lot mm-hmm. more movement. It's a lot more mm-hmm. stuff to think about. That right. way is kind of nice because their right hand's doing the, the hitting yeah. and they can still rest their left hand, their chording hand if mm-hmm. they want, but it can it can still stay pretty close. It's I think it's it'd be easier for them to mm-hmm. get back into like B flat. Yes. That's the dreaded, you know, the first really tough chord that we the encounter. Yeah. <laughs> it's not as hard as E, yep. but anyway. But the kids <laughs> the kids also tend to sort of they have walleye vision when it yeah. comes to their left hand. And as soon mm-hmm. as it's not in the first position, they just lose it altogether. Where do I they go? They don't remember where <laughs> any fingerings are. I've had some students mm-hmm. who they'll they'll use one finger to play melodies. Right. And it's like I, I try to tell them it's too busy. It's just you're mm-hmm. moving your whole hand all over. If you use <laughs> a finger per fret, your hand doesn't have to move. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, the third finger doesn't want to do it. I know, but if you just give it a chance, right, it'll it'll be good. <laughs> I did find too that the 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 technique has applications to the later UIC levels. Mm-hmm. So I started playing around with it in sort of more advanced songs. Yeah. So we got up to like a level three song where, as an adult you can even change the tap flicking so that you're using one finger instead of three on your mm-hmm. right hand, and you can start doing offbeats. Oh, okay, so that's, right. you're hitting the, yeah. the front like before, and uh-huh. then you flick it, and then you come back to the yeah. front, uh-huh. the face. You use your first finger your, only this time. Yeah, so that the taps are less right. intense. And then um, the rhythm is a little more complicated, too. Well, it is a little more complicated. You start getting on offbeats. And, but um, it sounds nicer. On my YouTube <laughs> channel, there are uh, instructional videos already on okay, how to do these. Okay, awesome. So you get this sort of... Right? And you can start yeah. playing around with rhythm a little sounds bit. Sounds a lot more exotic. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Some basic... Uh, I'm not so good at percussive ukulele, so that's that's awesome as a teaching tool, but also as a, a playing tool for myself. I just find it I fun, <laughs> you know, I, I just enjoy yeah. it. I mean, coming from, I, I really appreciate Andy McKee, and I really oh, like yeah. Ben Howard, and, and they're just finger-style awesome. pros. You know Kaki King? I don't, I should check that Kaki out. Kaki King mm-hmm. is great. I will definitely do that. Great guitar player. Mm-hmm. Um, so, speaking of personal playing, um, what's something that you've been working on um, in terms of your own practice, like what's something you're struggling with or not struggling with, like just for the sake of you playing the ukulele? Well, right now I'm definitely struggling with um, balancing. Because I didn't have a music degree, mm-hmm. I often find that the musical theory can sometimes be baffling. Mm. And I'm finding that the Ukulele Way program is a great method for me to even that mm-hmm. out. So I can see James actually play everything yeah. that I need to learn and then later sort of back it up with the theory mm-hmm. so I can watch watch and learn, essentially. Yeah. Um, as far as my own projects go, I'd, I'm really excited to try to use the ukulele to bring myself back to my roots. Okay. Um, for the last maybe 20 years, I've been playing in rock and heavy metal bands, mm-hmm. and I really love that type of music. It's a huge part of my youth. That's good. But, oh, it is. <laughs> Um, going back even further um, to these fiddle contests that I mm-hmm. grew up in, in that culture, mm-hmm. there's something very magical about it to me. Yeah. And the ukulele 
and James's methodology has really sort of brought forth the bluegrass culture into mm-hmm. it, and he uh, integrates mandolin-style chords and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and the like, which are essentially just octaved out regular yeah. chords. And I'm finding that just absolutely captivating. Um, mm-hmm. The more of that I learn, the more fun I'm having on the ukulele. Mm-hmm. I'm really hoping to develop that further. Mm, awesome. So do you get into like Celtic music or is it more like Northeastern, Northeast North America? Well, uh, when I was younger, it was definitely uh, based in the Don Messer tradition of, okay. of, of Ottawa Valley fiddling, which mm-hmm. did have its roots in the, in the East Coast. So yeah. I think it comes from Cape Breton originally. Oh, okay. Um, which is where the Leahy family we mentioned before, yeah. they're sort of the virtuosos of that style. Mm-hmm. Um, mixing the two uh, would be great. Also, mm-hmm. I really in, do enjoy Celtic music, mm-hmm. and I think that if there's a if there are people playing it down in Nova Scotia, <laughs> I'll be happy to jump in. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's um there's someone who puts together a lot of uh, Celtic fiddle tunes for high G ukulele. Oh, cool! With like the campanella technique, mm-hmm. where you're basically utilizing the fact that you can put the melody on the high G, and then the notes will actually ring more closely together. Oh, perfect! Sounds really nice. Um, yeah. Of course, when you play ukulele with a fiddle, the fiddle just blows it away with volume. Oh, yes. But, yeah. you know, it's still nice to be able to do stuff like that. That's awesome. Incredible. So, um, is there anything else that you're trying to get into your classroom that's new that you might be working on? One thing I'd love to see more if like wh- one of the issues in Mexico is there was so little time to go off curriculum because mm-hmm. I had to sort of get prep concert series and things like that. Yeah. Um, I would love to see students composing more oh, um, yeah. and developing their own chord progressions, That'd developing their own melody lines mm-hmm. and then seeing what kinds of feelings they can express through their yeah. music. Um, replicating James Hill's work is one thing but with little kids, which d- builds a huge array of talent for them. Mm-hmm. But I also think that once they make that personal connection to the instrument, it'll probably last a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And with any teaching I'm doing in Canada, I'm really hoping to cultivate that. Yeah, well, that sounds awesome. Music. Yeah. People need music more. Well, I know I do. <laughs> I mean, I, I have an ukulele tattooed on me at this point. Oh, so you do? There's awesome. no turning back. Yes, yeah, so when I was in Mexico, I got you're, a... You're in it for the long haul. A Cavalera <laughs> sugar skull on my, uh, on my shin that has an ukulele right in the forehead, which mm. is... You, well, you could pretend it's a bass... Maybe. You could maybe get away with that maybe. were I to put the ukulele down. but Or uh, a quattro? <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I don't see it happening anytime soon, though. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think I'll be putting <laughs> down this instrument. I'm, I, I think it's going to be a lifetime project. Mm. And, I, and it's really awesome. brought, it's brought me back home, to tell you the truth. Um, the ukulele has really been an integral part of why I left Mexico and came home. Uh, oh. Because the program and meeting other Canadians mm-hmm. that are into the same things as me really made me homesick in a lot of ways. Oh, that's awesome! And uh, you know, we've met. Mm-hmm. We're now doing a podcast. We're, yes. we're colleagues, <laughs> and it's it really is a family mm-hmm. here in Jahui. Uh, yeah, and uh, I'm hoping to be part of it for years to come. I'm still having issues with the Jahui. Jahui sounds yeah, like jacuzzi. I've, or I've heard it's from uh, Australians mm-hmm. that are taking this program. Yes, um, it's very cute. Jahui is uh, a j. With the word hui, which is Hawaiian, mm-hmm. I believe. Is that right? I'm not sure. No. I can't remember exactly. <laughs> but um, yeah. it means, what, family, together, music, something. Hmm. But it, it has yeah. a meaning. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not just, it's not just nonsense. Uh-huh. Um, I, I should look it up and mm-hmm. figure that out. Well, it certainly has a meaning for all of us here, that's for sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a cute name. Jahui. Mm-hmm. It almost sounds like Kablooey. Yeah. Anyway, right. um, so before we go, last 
last little bit, do you have any practice tips for teachers or players? One thing I can say is with my youth students um, mm-hmm. down in Mexico, we integrated the, the James Hill practice log into the classroom. Oh, nice. Um, during Jahui, we mm-hmm. had uh, an expectation that a certain number of hours were completed each mm-hmm. week. There were check boxes for different skills. Um, for James Hill, there was over six of those skills mm-hmm. that we had to sort of hit every week. Yeah. They went from sight reading to solo skills mm-hmm. to vocals. Uh, but for the kids, I, I cut it down to just, did I practice strumming? Did I read any notes? And did I do any percussive work, which mm-hmm. was the tap flick method? Mm-hmm. And if the kids had done each of those things during each practice session, they would click a box or check mm-hmm. a box because they could do it online as well. Okay. And th- that required a parent signature. Okay. But for kids to have some kind of running record of what they've been doing on yeah. the instrument really gives it more value to them. Mm-hmm. So I, I had kids that were like, oh, look at Mr. B. I just finished 25 hours. Oh, I, and, you know, I would set Give up little things. achievement for, unlocked. Well, it was <laughs> sort of like every 25, like every quarter of 100 hours they did, they oh, got nice. to do a performance for the class. Oh, that's so great. So I found that those intrinsic motivators worked mm-hmm. better than giving them a sticker or something like mm. that. So the only kids give that... Give them a new ukulele. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> in that school, they bought their own because they were quite wealthy. But mm-hmm. I did find the kids valued getting performance time in front of their peers mm. uh, as much as, as a sticker or something to eat. So that would be a number one tip for teachers. That's awesome. Another one is to encourage your students to buy their own instrument. Mm. Um, if they're borrowing... A good one. A good one. Yeah, a decent <laughs> one. No plastic ones here, guys. Um, if it's plastic, you got to be really careful. They exist, but... For me, the main thing I tell them to look for is a geared tuner. Uh-huh. They got to have those steel tuners. Because the ones they bring in that are terrible is like the pegs, and it's like $10. It doesn't stay in tune. And I Ugh. suppose my last uh, word of advice would be to just have fun with it and, mm-hmm. and allow the students to have fun with it mm-hmm. in whatever ways you can. And essentially, this is where the tap flick method came from, was my students yeah. having fun with the instrument in their own way, engaging with it, and then having me sort of integrate it into the final performance arrangements Mm -hmm. really made them feel a sense of achievement. Hmm. Well, Brian, it's been awesome talking to you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. I've had a great time. (laughs) It's my first podcast and I've, I really enjoyed myself and I really appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to get what I've been doing out there and to uh, collaborate with you all week. It's been fantastic. I think it's awesome. Mm -hmm. So, uh, talk to you later. All right. (laughs) Signing off. Bye. Well, there you have it. I hope that was helpful for you. Again, thank you so much for joining me. This podcast is actually brought to you by listeners like you over at patreon.com slash ukuleleabe. That's where you can support me. And um, you can also just leave a tip in the tip jar if you'd like. I'm really just doing this for the love of the ukulele and to help teachers and players everywhere just get better. There is so much knowledge that we can share together to just, you know, get better, obviously, and just have more fun on the instrument. It really is a beautiful thing, and I'm so glad that you could join me on this journey. I have a new review from Tiago Americo. He says, Aloha. Thanks so much for this podcast. It's really helpful. I'm just a beginner ukulele player, and I'm so excited about learning this great instrument, and this podcast simply came handy. Thanks again. Thank you so much for reaching out and uh, letting me know how you found it. Um, 
I'm constantly thinking of new things to do and uh, new people to talk to. And um, yeah, I really believe that this is a wonderful community that we're building together. Whether you never talk to me, I never meet you. Just the fact that you're here listening to this and trying to improve yourself uh, as an ukulele player and teacher really means a lot. And I believe that it shows in everything that you do, like I said, whether I meet you or not. So again, I can't say it enough. Thank you so much for listening and stopping by and hanging out. And I really hope you have an amazing day. So uh, until next time, aloha. Ooga, ooga, ooga.